It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mottes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mottes from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We've got all the interviews from The Loss. Uh, to the Utah Jazz up on our YouTube page. So it's always interesting to see guys talk. It's a little bit shorter when we lose. It's a little bit shorter. Michael Malone, I think, talked for two and a half minutes tonight, about a third about what he usually does. Um, but you can you can check us out on there. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, friend of the show, recurring guest. You might have been on the show more than any other person uh, in the show's history. The it's Tom from, Hanks of Denver Stiffs. The, the Tom Hanks? Okay. And uh, from the Action Network, it's Matt Moore. Hey, that's that's all you got this time. It's twelve. Hey. It's twelve thirty at night. Um, we're recording this in the bowels of Pepsi Center because um, these stupid TNT games. For years, we wanted to be recognized. Pay attention to the Nuggets. Put them on national television. Turns out that sucks. Sucks. Late games. Late games. It's very late. It's the second one in a week. But and then in I just found this out by the way. In twelve days. They're back on players only on the Tuesday, Tuesday <laughs> Play, run. Oh, players only, the best. Uh, I think they have a two-game break, and then they have four in a row, I think, on national television. So um, the Nuggets getting a lot of eyeballs on them um, for better and for worse. On Tuesday, I think, for better. On Thursday, for worse. They lose. They fall to the Utah Jazz. Um, Matt, a lot of stuff happened in this game, but if you were to summarize the biggest takeaway, what would you say it was? Uh, Tabo Sevaloja hit three threes. I love that you. I, I love this take because to me this is like the last, the the like last thing you say. And like despite all of that, but it really is kind of true. Sometimes basketball is simple. They won the first quarter. They won the third quarter. They won the fourth quarter. Utah was tired. They were on a back to back. Utah played great. They played great defense. Like we knew that they were going to. Gobert and Favors both dominated Jokic and completely shut him down. Uh, Jamal Murray, even though his stat line was fine, had a, I thought a really terrible night. Uh, there's a lots of things that you can point to, but despite all that, Denver wins if Thabasefalosha doesn't hit three threes, which Thabasefalosha has hit one three in 11 games of his 30 games played this season. <laughs> He's hit three only once more this season. Um, Thabo's had some up and down years in terms of injury and playability. Um, people are going to point to the core of her threes, and look, those, that's a problem. I think. No matter what's happening at the rim, you have to stay home on Kyle Korver, and that just has to be part of your element. Um, not not a lot changed from my estimation of both teams tonight. I'm not suddenly like, as is kind of the ongoing conversation on Twitter league-wide, is like, oh, this just goes to show you that Utah's got Denver's... No, don't stop. Stop. They've lost five times in its entirety this season. They were honestly well overdue for a stinker. Like, every team just has nights where it's like they just play like crap. And Denver tonight played like crap. Give Utah all the credit in the world for having a great game plan on a back-to-back, shorthanded, although that had a lot to do with it, Ricky Rubio playing. <laughs> shorthanded um, in a good way. In maybe. a good way. 
But at the end of it, Denver didn't play well. Utah played great, and Denver had a chance to win at the end because Denver's a better team. Interesting. So I want to start with where you went on your first note there, which was this is the first time all season I felt that Jokic didn't just lose his matchup but got absolutely dominated. And I was, I got to say, it was a little jarring. It was a little jarring to see Jokic not have an answer, at least as some, even when he's gotten beaten in his head-to-head matchup, I've never felt like he didn't figure something out. And I could tell watching you during the game that you were just like <laughs> trying to understand what was happening. Oh, no, I understood. I mean, I was, I think by half it was like, yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> stop the fight, stop yeah, the fight. <laughs> he just he just got his tail kicked. Uh, I think, you know, look, um, Gobert is, I did a, a big thing on Defensive Player of the Year today, and Gobert is in the top three for that award, top three, top four. Um, for that award because he's the best rim protector in the league. It's either him or Miles Turner this season. And I think Gobert, because of his reputation, definitely deserves a good handle on it. Um, I think that Jokic... I was a little surprised. So, versus the Thunder, they know that Adams inside is going to contest things, and so Jokic went a lot to three-pointers... And there was very little face-up action for the mid-range two. There was very little action on the perimeter for threes. It was all post-ups. And it was like leaning into the one place that Rudy Gobert <coughs> wants you. Like, Gobert doesn't want you on the perimeter. Um, I think it, there are ways to attack Rudy Gobert, and there are all the ways that Denver did not tonight. And there are ways that you should never attack Rudy Gobert, and there are all the ways that Denver tried tonight. Yeah, it was a, it was a strange night from Yoke because you're right. He wasn't out on the perimeter. Did he take a three point shot? I don't think he did. I um, I, oh no, he did. He took the the like buzzer at the end of a shot clock because mm-hmm. Denver found themselves in the end of a shot clock and just disheveled quite o, a bit. Oh, of one from three, and it was the one like off of the right leg falling away just to to get it out of his hand. So um, yeah, it was kind of an inside inside game. I didn't really think about that as it was happening, but you're right. Um, I thought the game plan from Utah. And I haven't watched them play enough to know if this is how they just always play. But I thought they did such a good job of spreading the team out. Such a good job of attacking. From the pick and roll, they would attack with one guy on the weak side. So you'd have Joe Ingles on the left side of the court attacking, or, or, or the right side, but attacking one side with one helper there. So basically what they were doing was they were putting Denver in a position where the guy who had to help on Rudy Gobert was the same guy that had... Kyle Korver mm-hmm. in the three-point line. And Denver, first of all, I think did not do a good job of containing dribble penetration and containing, which they, I just think that's who they are. I don't think they're good at that. Right. Um, but they really just ended up giving up a ton of corner threes. I thought, it, I thought it seemed very clear that that was their game plan tonight. Denver's lack of versatility defensively hurts them in a lot of senses. That's I think, a great way to put it, lack of versatility. And I think that in this particular one, like OKC in that situation, one of the reasons that OKC beats the snot out of Utah a lot in terms of defensively is because they are able to drop the big versus Gobert, but they're able to switch aggressively if they have to. And, like, with Joe Ingles, what you don't want is you don't want Joe Ingles spotting up. What you want is you want to make Joe – like, there's this debate, and you and I were arguing about this earlier, about Joe Ingles and the pick-and-roll. And, like, the Jazz guys are asking, like, is it just Joe Ingles or Derek Favors, like, the best pick-and-roll combination you've ever seen, Coach, and all this? And I'm like – Look, Synergy's got Joe Ingles, a 26 percentile shooting out of the pick and roll. Now, he's 59, he's 46 percentile when he's passing and shooting, and 59th percentile when he's just passing. Like, yeah, he's, if he's passing out to, to shooters, they've got some guys now with Corver and Crowder and, and Ingles that can, can make a couple, or not Ingles, because Ingles is in it, but like some guys that can make some shots. But like, what you, what you want to do in that situation is you basically want to be able to switch and say, okay, Joe Ingles, go score 40 points. 
like Can driving you... driving out of the pick and roll and creating. Because what Joe Ingles wants is exactly what wound up happening. He wants you to help off so he can kick to the corner. Yeah. He doesn't want to get to the rim and try and attack. It's Joe Ingles. Yeah. He's spotting up and he's trying to create on the pick and roll. But what be, what Denver's scheme and this just shows you like it's it's fascinating to think about this in a playoff matchup because in a playoff matchup. Michael Mullen's probably sitting there, and Michael Mullen probably for the first game is going to go out and they're going to be like, all right, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're not going to change anything. Yeah. This is who we are. But after that first game, he's probably going to be like, mm, a little bit. <laughs> and then you just you stay home and you try to make Joe Ingles do it. And it's the same thing. It's why it works a lot better with Ricky Rubio, honestly, because Rubio has been in the situations enough that you can drop a little bit more, and you don't have to worry about him pulling up from three coming off of the off of that right. pick and roll. Right. Um, so I just I wind up feeling like they don't have the versatility in order to contain. You've mentioned the perimeter. Uh, containment a lot and it is a problem um but i also feel like denver doesn't they they've they've had success defensively doing what they do this season and they're not in a position to switch up coverage very few teams can like you have to be the elite teams to switch up your coverage boston utah indiana i was gonna say boston's an interesting one and we're gonna differ on this but one and, and maybe it's true this year i haven't been around boston everyone that has seems to have a different take on them but to me it seems like a lot of people are saying they're just not that good this year. To me, I think they're good at a lot of different things, and that's important in the playoffs, to be able to have a different look. And my question is, can Denver do something different the next time they play Utah? Meaningfully different. I'm not talking about knockdown shots, but I'm saying defensively to try to stop that spread pick and roll. Is there a different look Denver could give? Because I'm actually not sure there is. Yeah, I think there is. I mean, a lot of it's like you have to – You have to. Every every defensive game plan is built upon what do you want to accept, right? Like what do you want to accept? And the answer is – like you want Joe Ingles, if let's say Rubio's out for the next one for whatever reason, like or just doesn't play a lot. Yeah, like make Joe Ingles score forty on you pulling up out of the pick and roll. If you lose because Joe Ingles scores forty on mid range pull ups, it was never your night to begin with. Yeah. But you don't lose on Kyle Korver wide open threes, and you don't lose on Rudy Gobert dunks. If you cut off Rudy Gobert's dunks and you cut off Kyle Korver and Jay Crowder and when he, when it's Rubio Ingles spot up threes. That offense dies. It yeah. dies. And we saw that in the, in the third and fourth quarter that when Denver started giving better effort. Now, I, I will say this too. You can keep the same scheme and you can survive. I, I know that, that you're going to argue that by making it on that weak side, there's no way for you to help over and recover. I do think even showing, just like you have to get the timing right. You stunt. You show versus Ingles coming over to give him pause. And you immediately run off the shooter. I think, for me, I think it just comes down to when you have taller guys, it's easier to do that. It's easier to cover a ton you know, of ground. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the tall guys thing, and I had this exact same thought. One of the big problems <coughs> for Ingles tonight in the pick and roll was because he was going against such yeah, small had, guards. Had, you're right. This was a night for, this, it's, it's, in, it's to, I will say this. Uh, I think Michael Malone's done a phenomenal job this season. I think he's the runaway coach of the year. I'm going to be writing that soon. I think he's done an excellent job managing the rotations. I wonder, I will go ahead and put this out there, and we're going to talk about this more, I know, but I do wonder if Isaiah Thomas is the is the straw <laughs> on the camel's back of one too many guys to try and manage in the rotation. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing tonight is um, he made some inexplicable decisions, like Wancho Hernan Gomez gets minutes and Torrey Craig does not. Wancho was like a plus tonight, <laughs> randomly enough. Not, I don't think because of anything but, he did, but just, yeah. Right, and so, but like Torrey Craig is the kind of guy that you want in this game. Like This was Craig, a Torrey Craig game. Yeah, Ingles, Craig, Craig is the guy you want to put on Ingles. Yeah, I He's agree. He's the guy you want to put on Ingles. If you put Ingles, a small forward in pick and roll coverage versus three small guards 
What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think your your point is right. In the pick and roll, there's three people you have to work look out for. There's the kick out, and usually you can know where that guy is going to be because it's where the help is supposed to come from. There's the roll guy and there's the ball handler. I think Denver needs to cover the roll guy and the kick out. Yeah. And the and the ball handler when it's Donovan Mitchell, he can go off. Yeah. And you got to guard it differently. Yeah. When it's Joe Ingles, you got to contest. It's not LeBron James the other night said our plan was to give to, to force the ball into his guy's hand and he just didn't guard him. He hits a wide open three. You can't do that, but you have to. You do have to pick your poison, and I wonder if that was it. Um, let's take a quick break. We come back. We're going to keep talking about this game, but we're also going to talk about something Matt alluded to, which is Isaiah Thomas has gotten a little worse with each game, and not just that, but the Nuggets look a little different um, with him out there. We'll take a break. We'll talk about that. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. With Matt Moore of the Action Network. And the Nuggets, as you mentioned, they won the first quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter. I mean, it took a couple miracles. I thought Will Barton tonight was... Absolutely incredible. And I said this. I Look, I've defended him a lot. I think Nuggets fans kind of saw something tonight that they haven't seen, which is when you get into a dogfight, when you get into a street fight, sometimes you need brawlers. And that's what Will Barton is. I mean, Will Barton, when, when everybody else started playing tight, I thought Will Barton was like ready, just ready. And I felt confident when the ball was in his hands. Um, but the real issue, that second quarter where Denver gets outscored, I think, by 18 points, um, it really had a lot to do with the three-guard lineup. You call it Trace Ninos. Um, three guards, including Isaiah Thomas. You've seen a couple games of that so far. What, what's your take? I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And it's had some success. But even when it's... It ha- it's had success, like, early on. Even when it succeeds, I, I just am like, this is a bad idea. Like, this is tactically a bad idea. You're looking at the lineup that they're up against tonight, and they're going up against a long... Tall lineup. It's Royce O'Neal. Yeah, it's uh, really it's big. Tabo Cephalosha. Donovan Mitchell's got some size on him. Joe Ingles is out there. It's all a big lineup, and you're just you're just begging Utah to get this because versus the Thunder, I think that got a little mixed up with one trying to contain them, and then two just making bad decisions in terms of shot selection, like. Utah is coached within an inch of its life, and it has to be because it's not very talented. So Utah brings with it an entirely different approach, and so I think that Trace Nino's lineup is just disaster. I think, you know, what's funny is that second quarter, you know who the big culprit was, though? Who? It was Millsap, Barton, Jokic, Beasley, and Murray. It was the starters. That was the lineup that, that fell apart. They were, oh, at the end, yeah. They were minus eight. So, yeah, like, yeah. Trace Nino's wound up being uh, minus ten. Uh, or no, they were minus eight in this in this game, and then uh, Barton, Millsap, Plumley, Beasley, Murray. So the starters with Plumley instead of Jokic, that was a minus two. Um, they just got their tail kicked in that second yeah. in the second quarter by pretty much everybody. But I think that the I just think that that Trace Nino's lineup it 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 never really sparks everything. And and, and I will say this like based off of Malone's comments, like I feel like he was foreshadowing tonight. Oh my god, he he a hundred percent was basically saying. 
not we're not going to go to that anymore. Well, I mean, not only that, but I think he, uh, to me he's indicating that Saturday I think we're going to see starters. Oh man, that would be. I think that's a great thing. And, yeah, and honestly, remember, New Orleans is a good game, a team for that. Do you remember early on in the season when it was um, like you were you were waiting on him to replace Tory Craig in the starting lineup yeah, yeah. with somebody, and then they it was like they kept winning, and then yeah, they finally yeah. had oh, that yeah, bad loss, loss, and, and the, the very yeah. next game yeah. he goes to Wancho, and like that's been Malone's mo this season, and I do not blame him for yeah, that. Yeah. To be like, if we're winning, I'm going to ride it. And if we lose, then we'll readjust. But I'm not going to mess with success. Well, your rotations just got messed up. And I think this has been coming for a while. They've been winning games because this team is really good and can win in all sorts of ways. But to me, like I felt over the past couple of games that their rotations are tar- starting to spiral a little bit, where it's getting a little chaotic, where it's getting a little... Like, it doesn't make as much like lockdown sense as it did. And part of it is, like, look, we are six weeks out of the playoffs. It is not time for them to be at 10, 11 dudes. Yeah. It's time for them to be at 9. So this is the big question now. Isaiah Thomas could be good, could be... I have no idea what to make of him. The question was always, did they need an Isaiah Thomas? Like they weren't, they weren't. Nobody was saying like, oh, you know what they need is a undersized scorer from the guard position. So now you have to wonder. And it's, I don't, I'm not trying to. It's not his fault. It's not any of this stuff. But is Malone? Do you see him in a, a little bit behind the eight ball because they have too many guys at the same position? Yeah, and he's not going to be. He like Isaiah carries with him veteran presence and a big personality and like. He's got to manage that, and that's really tough because you need more Monte Morris and you need bigger lineups, and it's just like the. This is why I kind of realized behind the Trace Daniels thing is the reason that he keeps running the three guard lineup out there is it's the only way to keep Monte Morris' yeah. minutes in the same in the same number while getting Isaiah on the floor. When you ask why are they playing three guard lineups, it's because one of those guys has to be cut out. And Nuggets fans, I think, are all on. We'll just sit Isaiah Thomas, which is easy to say, say. because you're connected to your guys. Mm-hmm. That's a lot harder from a coach. Yes, and it's especially hard because this Isaiah Thomas might be good. He took eleven months off. We all expected he would be bad through his first five games. Well, here's what's ironic: is tonight was the exact kind of game that you get Isaiah Thomas for. So Jokic couldn't score. Yeah. Jokic is struggling. Yeah. Jokic can't do anything inside. Your beautiful offense with with running it through the pinch post with with Jokic and doing all of the things. He wasn't doing everything anything. was dead. And you notice in the third quarter what got them going was well Barton said screw this I'm getting to the rim and then they ran Gary Harris DHOs like eight times in a row and just got guys going downhill. Uh, that's what you need, and that's what Isaiah Thomas, when he was healthy, was so great at, was he could get around anybody, and you commented on it immediately, and it's when I went back at halftime and watched, like, it's true, like, he couldn't get past Royce O'Neal. Is he an NBA player if he can't get around guys? No. He's not. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. And like you know, we're we're saying this, and you mentioned like it's been or it's been a couple of games. He's coming off of a major injury and all that. The problem is, is that this is the tough part of Denver's schedule. And while this isn't like the most important time, like honestly, the most important time was January when they were up against it. When it was like, or it was late December. Oh yeah. When yeah. it was like they were facing a murderer's row of games. They were. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're gonna lose some and they'll be good. They'll lose some kind of like they'll lose the national attention. And instead, they rattle off a bunch of wins. Yeah. And that essentially has secured them a top four seed. In it the was Western important. Conference. They needed it. Yeah. Yeah, and like that's huge and great and good. But this stretch here is tough, and they're trying to stave off. Now they're burdened with expectations heading into the stretch run against quality opponents. And so, like, this is the worst time to be trying to integrate a flawed 
hurt player that has to play, that has to play a certain way, who's still trying to figure out what he's doing on the court with the other guys. It's a mess. And yeah, I agree. You know, they he may come out next game and kill it because that's how this stuff happens. But I, it doesn't, I wouldn't predict it. But, but, it does, but it doesn't change where they're at in the season and how complicated this is to manage. I think the upside of Isaiah Thomas in my mind is, is a lot lower with every passing game. And, um, yeah, you know, they don't have... How many games do they have to give him? I mean, say he plays at the level he did tonight. How many games until you cut the cord? I don't know that there's a number, Adam. Like, I just don't know, like... Look, man, like, I just, to me, the politics in the NBA are extremely complicated. Like, it just goes, politics in the NBA go so, and this is what always kills me is when players are like, well, this moron coach didn't bench so-and-so, and he just should have done that. Anybody could have told you that, and it's like, you have no idea about what goes on. They're getting a little bit of that of like, oh, look what he's doing. He wasn't doing, he was going to do that here. Yeah, and like... There's just he didn't do that in Brooklyn. There are dynamics that go on that go well beyond the court, and that's part of it. And like, you know, Isaiah is here on like a good faith deal on a minimum contract, trying to and like part of it's also that Isaiah is trying to recoup a lot of money that he lost because of the age, and so like that's. Like that's a human thing that he's going through. Like, yeah, like I mean, is. bear in mind, like, Isaiah, Thomas, life, yeah. Isaiah Thomas lost like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's and true. like, and Good way and, to put it. and it's really tough. Which is why, like, a couple of weeks ago, I I started kind of poking around and being like, look, if you get a look at Isaiah and he can play, but you guys have Monte, do you think about cutting him so maybe he can go find a playoff team? And they're like, absolutely not. They're like one hundred percent no, not gonna happen. And I was really surprised because that would have been my play is to play him for the month of, of February, play him as much as possible, <clears throat> give him as many give him a nice break in between for the all star break, have it be like, Hey look, Isaiah Thomas is back and he can do some things for you. Oh, but we've got Monte Morris, we're gonna let him go so he can go join another playoff team, and then Isaiah can make a run with a team that maybe needs him a little bit more, and it would have all worked out. But like that's just not where they're at. And so like and the other thing is I I will, well, I will say this about the Nuggets organization. This is my own personal perception. They're all optimists. Mm. Like even Malone, for as much of a of a worry, you're, you're a Nuggets pessimist though. So a, maybe you're yeah. seeing it from the opposite of, side of the tunnel. Well, it's here. not just that. It's like it's not it's not about like what I see like in terms of the stuff. It's that I know that they approach things from the concept point of yeah, but what they what can they do. Like, mm. my job is to analyze guys and figure out what they're good at, what they're bad at, and to put very limitations. Like, the reason I'm low on Utah and the reason I fight with their fans so much is because their, fan, their fans are like, yeah, but look at what they can do. Right, yeah. And I'm like, you're schemable. You're, you, right. Like, if a team has good defensive principles and personnel, you will get choked the life out of your offense because that's my job. But if you're on a team and you got Isaiah Thomas, it's entirely different. And you're like, yeah, but if Isaiah gets his legs back... Look at what he gives us. He gives us a guy that can just break down the defense on his own off the bench and like create. But part of it also is like, look, man, if they're going to do this, running the three-guard lineup is not what you want to do. You want two floor spacers. You want two bigs. And that's how you run with Isaiah Thomas. And either you do that or you do not do this. But this three-headed thing with Gary Harris and Monte Morris and Isaiah Thomas that's nonsense. Yeah. Now that can change when Gary Harris is back in the starting lineup. Like that fundamentally shifts. You sub out, you put in Malik Beasley, and it's Morris and Isaiah, 
and him, okay, this makes a little bit more sense. Right. Yeah, he's a little longer. That's interesting. Well, let's take another break because I'm sick of this negativity. It's a bummer that this was a bad game, but let's talk some big picture stuff when we get back about the Nuggets because they've actually been really good despite tonight's effort. Uh, We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here on Lockdown Nuggets with Matt Moore of the Action Network. You can follow him at HP Basketball. Um, so the this game aside, and I actually think this can be a productive loss for Denver in a lot of different ways. I mean, you have to. Everybody wants Denver. They were the one seed for like two hours today, and it's it's all exciting. I think Denver needs to learn more than anything. Denver needs to learn some lessons in the next six weeks. They have six more weeks of school before the final exam comes, and they have they have some studying to do. Um, where do you see Denver right now? I mean. Just the the season that they've had, the the vibe that they had coming into this game. Just, just what do you see going on with them? I've been thinking about a lot about them in the last forty eight hours since that Thunder win. And the that was reason, a big win. It's almost as big a win as this was a loss. Yeah, the re- I think a bigger. Um, I think the reason the reason I've been thinking a lot about them is is that I'm trying to. I'm honestly at a point where, look, I've said consistently. Uh, I made this point on Twitter. And I've gotten, like, flamed for it for thinking that Denver's bad. But I'm like, look, I'm just telling you what the perception in the league is. Every team in the Western Conference wants them in the first-round matchup. They want them in the second-round matchup. They want Denver. Everybody wants Denver. And everybody's – I'm trying to manage expectations. I'm like, look, if they're facing the Lakers, I'm probably taking the Lakers because I've seen LeBron James beat teams that, like – the like. <laughs> look, Joe Ingles had a great night tonight. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> Just take Joe Ingles right. and then go up to LeBron. But not only that, but, like, I've seen LeBron take bad, bad teams. Yeah, the Cavs yeah. the last two years were a bad team, and he went to the finals just because – he makes teams honestly part of it is he makes teams suck yeah, like yeah. he made the raptors suck he yeah. made the hawks suck like he does that cuz he's a great player so i can see that happening um there's all these matchups i can see that can be problematic for that but i also like I, I after talking to bart the other night i did have the thought of like much like with milwaukee cuz i'm at the point with milwaukee where i'm like are we just overthinking this like milwaukee's the best team in the league like are we just overthinking this with them and like they're just going to roll through the east cuz they're the best team in the east um I'm much that way with the Denver, where I'm like, are we just overthinking this and like assuming? Because everybody's on the experience thing, and I'm like, we've seen teams with part of. It, I was thinking about this with Utah, and I, what experience does Utah have? Like, they won a series last year. They won a series last year, but if you understand the dynamics of that series, I will maintain this to the day I die. Andre Robertson was out, and Carmelo Anthony was on the floor. <laughs> like, it was a nice matchup advantage for them, in which Ricky Rubio shot well yeah, from the Denver field. Yeah, Denver might have won if Melo was on the court. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's play out that series a bunch of times, and let's see what happens. And so, that's kind of my point. Like, I don't really know what meaningful success Utah has had. Um, 
And to that degree, like if they don't have much success, and this OKC team without Westbrook hasn't had any success, and Portland, God knows, they haven't had any success, and Houston obviously has had massive success, but not with this team. This is an entirely different squad than before, and they're deeply flawed. Now they'll beat Houston, beat Denver if they're in the matchup because we know that because we've seen the matchup. But like all the way down the line, like none of these teams are terrifying. Denver doesn't have any reason to be scared of any of these teams. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and yeah. I'm really sick of the fact that I'll say this. You want to curtail the negativity, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be negative in pursuit of a positive. Um, <laughs> Nothing's more Matt than that. I'm sick of every single time that they're that they're on TV and they lose when they've lost 19 times this season. Right. Yeah. For it to be this conversation about this is why this is why they can't win. This is why every team in the West. But, but I tell know. you, this team's flawed, and I'm like get. Out of here. This team is an awesome this season. But, but we know it's confirmation bias, right? I mean, you, you have an opinion, and whenever that opinion is confirmed, even if it's only one out of eight times, right. it's like, well, there, that that's exactly what I'm talking about. And here's the, here's the thing. this The NBA is really good these days. Yeah. I, it's really, really good. There's a lot of good teams, and anybody can beat anybody outside the Warriors. Um, but, you know, Denver... The league right now, I think, is more defined by what you can't do than what you can. And yeah. Denver can do so many things. There are a couple things they still can't do, especially defensively, and the spread pick and roll, unfortunately, mm-hmm. is just one of them. And so teams that are able to do that, and I didn't know Utah was one that could, to be honest with you. Tonight they did a great – maybe they, they're not. Maybe Cephalosha just ran hot and Corver ran hot. But, um, you know, that to me, I think a lot of people saw tonight's game being what they expect of every game for Denver. And I don't know if that's true. I think Denver has a few more things up their sleeve that, that tonight was just a bad game for them. They tend to surprise. They have dug deep and found a lot of ways to win this season, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. I think you, know, you mentioned that there's still lessons to take. I don't know that that's true. I think for me at this point, talking to them too, like I, this is just the sense I get is like they kind of figured out by All Star break, like oh, like we're gonna be top four team and yeah. like, we're really good and we're, and I have two things that I want from Denver the rest of the way. The first is that I want them to appreciate their success. Yeah, for sure. When they clinch a playoff spot, they you hope need, they celebrate. They need to celebrate, and they don't need to go wild. They don't need to be popping champagne, but there needs to be like honestly, uh, the biggest one is like I want to talk to Gary Harris, who has been here when there was thirteen people in the stands, and when he was unable to get on the court with Brian Shaw. Yeah, like I want to talk to him that night. You go back and think about that. He's a rookie. He's drafted nineteen. He's not playing. To think you will lead this team to the playoffs in a few years—that mm-hmm. that's you. Nobody would have said that. Not one person Not one after person. his rookie season said Gary Harris will lead the Denver Nuggets to the playoffs. Right. And it, so I'm with you on that. You need to, and I think that the front office, Tim Conley, has been very good about this. Don't skip steps. Yep. And I think that's important. Denver Nuggets are on a step. They might be able to take two steps this year or three yep. steps, but nonetheless, they need to celebrate and understand and, each step. And like talking, to, I talked to I, when I talked to Mo a few weeks ago. Like, I asked him, I was like, are you going to let yourself celebrate? And he's like, I don't think I am. Cause he's well, too that's late. his nature. Yeah, it's coach. It's, it's wrong, just, though. I do think it's I, wrong. Well, he said, like, I've got to. He's like, I've got to figure out a way to. He's like, yeah. I, need to, I, need to, I need to be grateful for what this team has accomplished. And he talked about his family in that regard. And, like, it was a, it was a really great conversation that I'm going to write about towards the end of the season when they clinch a, a spot. But, like, you know, I think they need to celebrate that. And the second thing is um, – the bigger thing to me is on the coaching staff. Like the players need to get through these next six weeks and not get hurt. But <laughs> yeah, for sure. But the coaching staff, like they need uh, this whole like we're just taking it one game at a time and we're just focused on one game. We can't get ahead of anything um, because they're so worried about avoiding a collapse 
then I'm kind of like, look, man, I study this stuff pretty closely. Mathematically, you're almost impossible. Like, your your magic number is going to be single digits. Right, yeah. It's done. You're in. You're going to be a top four seed. Yeah. You have enough gimme games left on your schedule. You're going to get there. Um, but, like, the reality is, I'm like, I know, look, Jokic has been better defensively than I ever thought he could be this season. Teams are going from the the tip off of that first game. They are going. They are going to go at Nikola every single time because their objective is going to be. It's not that Jokic is such a liability that they can just think like, "Oh, we're going to score three points per possession on them." It's if we can play him off the court, we take their best player and he's out. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to go. But see, this is why you say you don't think they have lessons. I do. I think there are some lessons, and one of them is going to be just what you said. Jokic is going to... Tonight, I thought Jokic got rattled. And it's weird because he finished strong, I guess, the last like three, four minutes, but I think he has to learn how himself. He's going to have to learn how to handle these moments. You're going to get rattled in the playoffs. Unless you sweep a team, there's a moment you get rattled. You're on. You're in game three, and that team goes on an eight eight zero run, and the building is like about to is is about the roof's about to come off. Whether you're in Portland or you're in Utah or you're in OKC, those are three of the toughest buildings to play in in the NBA, and they are all likely second round opponents for for Denver. Jokic got rattled today in Denver. Yeah. Imagine if Gobert blocks his shots like he did tonight in Utah. Yeah. I mean, so so I think there are a lot of lessons still to be learned, and I, I just think I think the problem is that teams are gonna hide so much of their, their of the tactics yeah, versus yeah. Denver. Like you're just no one targets guys in the regular season. Yeah. It's one thing that I've really learned is like is like if you see if you see a team actually targeting a matchup, that means that essentially that team is like we are we really want <laughs> to make a point here. Yeah. Um, what do you? How do you think Denver season unfolds from here? I mean, where where does Denver go? You t- you alluded to maybe the starting lineup. I'll tease. I have something probably coming out tomorrow on Denver Stiffs, if not in the morning, in the afternoon, about that starting lineup. Do you think Denver has more to offer, more to show, or do you feel like this is who they are and now hold out to the playoffs? I don't know what else they would have to offer because they've had such a great season, and I'm just trying to think about what more they could really do. I think... Like I mean, look at their win. Profile. Figure out their rotation. Yeah, is one of them. I mean, you, yeah, but like part of it's like they had the rotation figured out. Like they had. <laughs> That's true. Like they had they added the, a curveball. They had the rotation figured out, and they added a former MVP candidate, <laughs> and it screwed everything up. But that's that's like putting too much on Isaiah. Like that's not that's yeah. not the only problem. They just gotta honestly. The, the biggest thing I think is I think we're maybe heading towards it. It looks like Tory Craig's gonna be out of the rotation. I don't agree with that, um, and I feel like that's gonna be one of those that like gets reversed. Like I feel like it's it, like they're gonna hit adversity in a playoff series, and it's gonna be like, well, okay, let's turn to, to Tori to try and get us going. Um, but I think that like they need to get the rotation down to nine guys. So starters, Plumley, Morris, Malik, and then one more guy. Tory Craig or IT, huh? Tory Craig or IT, and that's gonna have to be the be the decision that they're gonna have to get to. And I don't think that they necessarily need to like. They don't need a, an ironclad answer to the Isaiah Thomas question of he plays, he doesn't play, etc. Um, but I do think that like the biggest thing for me, honestly, is, is I've been thinking, I've been tracking this stuff pretty closely as I do every year. Their seeding position matters a lot. Uh, Utah is now in a position where they can make a run at the three seed. <coughs> Portland's now tied for the three seed, and that stuff matters. 
I think that you're fine with OKC, Portland, or Utah in the three, as long as you stay at the two. If they can maintain that two spot, then you're in a good position. If Houston makes an unexpected run, that's where you start to get into trouble. They need Houston to lose a few more. To the be big, in the 4-5. Yeah, the biggest thing is, like, I know that everybody, I, I think the season is a success if they win a first-round series because they never did that. They did that one time under George Carl. So, like, if they, if they do that with this core the first time out, to me that's a successful season because then you're losing to a really good team. Yeah. No matter who you're losing to in round two. Like, Portland would suck, but, like, that's understandable. Like, mm. Portland, you get beat by Dame, you get beat by Dame. Mm. Um, mm. I know, I know. Um, but I also think, like, you have a chance to make a real run, but you got to stay out of Golden State and Houston's way. You want – you honestly, what they want right now is they want to go Golden State 1, Denver 2, OKC 3, Portland 4, Houston 5, Utah 6. And if that's the matchup, you're talking about OKC Ooh, Utah in round two, possibly. You, you talk about OKC Utah, OKC uh, Utah in round one, which means you only got to play one of those two teams. You're not facing Houston, you're not facing Portland, and you're not facing the Warriors unless you make the Western Conference Finals. That's the lie. That's like that is the perfect lie for the for the Nuggets playoff run. Like that is where you want things to be. Matchups are going to matter for them. Now, they're not going to play that way, and I know that because no team ever does this. Like, I, it makes me crazy because I'm always like, lose a game. If you can't recover momentum for a first-round <laughs> playoff series, you weren't that good to begin with. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but, like, point. they need to target playoff matchups more. Um, but they also, the other thing is, like, they started to get rallied the other night, and Millsap calmed them down. Yeah. And they got their tail kicked in tonight, but they rallied and came back. They have a lot of. I think this team has a lot of. They fight. have a lot of fight, and that here's what's different about that fight from the years past. And before it was all heart. This is confidence in their ability. Yeah, I think you're right about like that. Like this year, yep. like tonight, it was like tonight. They you think it, they got their ass kicked? It was a close game. They could have won. They could have won. It, they, it would. There was a point in this game where that goal ten happened, the goal ten crazy yeah. play, where I was like, man, they might win this game, and it's gonna. I don't know what my takes are gonna be. Yeah. Uh, so like part of it is like, if you look at. Uh, if so, I'm gonna go back. If Cephalosha doesn't hit those three threes in the second quarter, okay, yeah, then then Jazz still win the second quarter, twenty four to fifteen, <laughs> right? But Denver wins by two. Yeah, I mean, the play, game doesn't play out the same way. Right, but right. The, the math is the math, and like that was the difference. They lost by seven in a game in which that was Cephalosha hit three threes. If he only hits one. You know, they lose by one point tonight. So, like, they were right there. They have a lot of fight. They have a lot of confidence. They have a lot of ability. Um, I want to see them win their division games. Uh, the One of the biggest one I actually want is I want to – they need to go They need to go into Staples and beat the Lakers. They need to go into Staples and they need to beat the Lakers badly. They need to go into Staples and just wipe the floor with a flawed, broken Lakers team. Well, it would be a fun one for us because we have our watch party at Stoney's Uptown. That's Set 8.30. Up that was so. That was such a great setup. Uh, the party starts at 7.30. That's next Wednesday. That is going to be a fun one. I if, might be coming out for that. Oh, we might. you might get Matt Moore for that one. If the Lakers lose one or maybe two between now and then, that game would just be two. It could be great. It could be really, National really great. National TV. National TV, ESPN. Uh, so put it in your calendars. Come out and... Uh, there's some. Um, I think they have all you can eat wings for like fifteen bucks or something. It's like gonna be incredible. I'm gonna eat at least fifty wings. You can try to challenge me, see if you can eat more. No, it'll be a good time next Wednesday uh, at Stoney's Uptown. Matt, I appreciate this. Let's get out of here. Is there any other 
thoughts you have about this team you feel pertinent right now? Uh, I think the starting lineup. Thrill Barton's back. Gary Harris oh, is back. Will Barton, yeah. Gary Gary had some pop in his step today. He looked he, athletic. He couldn't finish. He couldn't finish on shots, but he was getting to the rim, uh, competing really hard, and just like the last two games, I think he's looked fantastic. He didn't play with fear, and to me, that's that's what when the guys hurt and they're playing. Will Barton played with a lot of fear. I thought his like first fifteen games back. Uh, also, you want to point this out? Uh, Jokic was brilliant. I thought in the game versus OKC. Yeah. But how often have we seen Nikola come back from All Star break and slump a little bit? Yeah, he, he does. He hates doing All Star. He's exhausted by All Star. Didn't do that this year. Not, not too much. He's coming out of the break really hot. I do want to see. I, but one thing I do want to see is like you're facing the Pelicans on 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 this weekend on Saturday. Uh, they're obviously like Davis will only play certain parts like 20 Which minutes. Which is good because I have a feeling Davis could really go off in that one. Sure, um, they're a pesky team. Come out, take care of business, obliterate them, get back on track. Denver needs a, a few more impressive performances, and then they can coast the rest of the year. Let's hope we get our starting lineup. Matt, thanks so much. You guys can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Read him at the Action Network. Everybody else will be back again tomorrow with a brand new episode. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.